Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to another episode of the PodCTL podcast. Tyler, it has been a, a really busy three weeks between a lot of events going on in the industry. Uh, how have you been keeping up? Uh, you know, it's it, things like Twitter and, and blogs and stuff help. But yeah, it's it's this usual. We get those two periods. It's like this spring period in the fall where there's like conference after conference in uh, rapid su- succession. So got to keep following up with them. Yeah. So we thought, you know, we a, a long time ago, you know, six months or so ago, we used to include some news in every show and then we would get a little more focused and we kind of forgot about it. And some people have asked us, hey, can you, you know, at least from time to time, do some new stuff. So uh, we thought we would kind of summarize the the kind of the three big shows that have gone on over the last couple of weeks. Um, we're not going to obviously get to everything, uh, but we'll try and hit some of the highlights and some of the, the Kubernetes-specific trends that came out of uh, the Cloud Foundry Summit, uh, KubeCon, CloudNativeCon over in Copenhagen, and then we'll hit on uh, some of the Red Hat Summit stuff. Um, you know, we did hit a little bit on some of the Red Hat uh, CoreOS stuff last week with with Joe and Reza, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of broaden that out a little bit. Yeah, sounds good. I think, uh, yeah, it's it's even not even saying broader industry, but even you know, Kube specific. There was uh, there was stuff in in all three conferences. Yeah. So why don't we? We'll just do this sort of uh, chronologically. We'll start with the Cloud Foundry Summit. Um, you know, it's it feels a little bit weird to talk about Kubernetes in the you know in the context of the Cloud Foundry Summit um, because for so long the Cloud Foundry Foundation and the members of the Cloud Foundry Foundation have you know just been going out of their way to be like containers are dumb nobody should care about any of that stuff uh, you know Kubernetes is is a waste of your time and you know now they're they're kind of embracing it but like what was your takeaway you know Kubernetes specific out of the Cloud Foundry Foundation or uh, Cloud Foundry Summit I guess. I, th- I think it's like when, whenever you have like a, a, a group of people that are roughly all on the same page uh, and then like the situation changes and then you get like sort of the different responses based on personality of like the true believers that are like, no, 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 who can- information has changed. What my, you know, my mind hasn't. You get the people who are really, you know, like, well, let me take in this new information and kind of like maybe we should t- tweak, adjust course a little. Um, and then you get the people who are like, I don't even care. I'm just like following whichever way the wind's blowing and they're just constantly changing. So it's like, you saw this little, you know, with, with any, you know, we saw this with OpenStack and any other community, like when there's any sort of shifts, like how each of the people respond, it was crazy to see like all those different responses all at the same time right. uh, around that. Right. Yeah. I, to me, like the, the real su- high level summary, I guess, is. Um, it feels like there's there's become sort of a split. Um, maybe maybe it'll split more than more than two ways, but it feels like there are, you know, now sort of a, a chunk of the the Cloud Foundry uh, you know community that is like we we really just want to use Kubernetes as our orchestrator, and then there is um, you know a, another faction that's like no 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 that that's not what that's not how you want to run you know cloud native apps you you know we should keep running them on Diego and so forth, and that's going to be kind of interesting to see how that plays out because obviously the cloud foundry foundation is is dominated by pivotal they sort of make all the technical decisions um and the non-pivotal companies are are starting to come out with different offerings that you know get rid of bosch or get rid of diego and um i don't know that it's going to be interesting to see how they message that because uh, it it does impact you know what where it's going to go going forward yeah yeah and i think some of them i mean some of them are you know they that's been kind of 
that group. So like, for example, Suse, it's, you know, Suse ended up in Cloud Foundry through the stuff they bought from HP, which HP ended up in there from a lot of it was the stuff they bought when they bought Active State. So that same sort of core Active State group, if you go back to Active State days, they were not fans of using Bosch and stuff like that. And they created tooling to strip that out and they used other things. I think even at one point they're using Ansible. Um, so now they're over at Suse and they have a tool called uh, Fizzle, which takes apart Bosch manifests and turns it into Kube stuff and, you know, these different things. So their, their thing is we're going to like Cloud Foundry, Diego, you know, as is, but let's get rid of Bosch. Let's use Kubernetes in its place. You're like, okay, that's that. Okay, sure. Um, IBM's approach is, is we created a CPI, uh, a cloud provider interface, which Bosch uses to know how to talk to something underneath for Kubernetes. So it's like Bosch. So it's like, Cloud Foundry and Diego on Bosch, on Kubernetes, on whatever Kubernetes is running on. And it's just like turtles all the way down, orchestrators all the way down. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like, and then like you said, with Pivotal, it's like they're this, you know, sidecar sort of like, hey, we can, we'll have it in there, but it's this separate thing. And the crazy thing to me is like, I, I get when you, you know, the sort of cliche of, you know, different tools in your toolbox for different uses. And I think that totally applies when it comes to the developer side. Like, hey, some developers don't want to care about Kube Manifest and containers and stuff, and they want to push some code. Yeah, but like what that has to do with the underlying container orchestrator, uh, that's still a head scratcher to me. So right. like if I do, you know what I mean? If you think about OpenShift, for example, right? you, you can use the STI tool to build the containers or you bring your own, but they all still run on Kube on the back end. Like, I feel like if you were you know starting with a blank sheet of paper to build in Cloud Foundry now, you would just build all the cf push stuff just on top of kube yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no and that and that and it's going to be interesting because ultimately um you know that community is is i mean there's a there's a part of it's like hey how do we preserve cf push if that's what you want to do um but there's also you know the, the flip side of it which is like how many tools am i going to make my operations team have to deal with now you know like Loggergator and a different logging tool for cube and do i use prometheus or do i use some other set of monitoring tools or you know like which networking am i allowed to do because you know cf is kind of does this flannel thing and, and kubernetes has the cni plugins and um you know it, it, you're going to ask a lot of your operations team um just to keep that one developer experience and, and so your developers really better love that experience if that's that's kind of the path they're going to go down because you're going to put a lot of work on the operations team yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you basically are taking out all of the networking and container running and stuff out of, you know, Cloud Foundry or any tool, and and you're just leaving with the actual building and the the API kind of thing, like I'm surprised someone hasn't like rewritten the CF API. So you know, you type CF push, and it just there's something running that builds the containers using like a Docker file because there's Docker files for all the CF um, build packs and everything. Mm-hmm. So just like build the containers and then all the commands would work the same. I'm surprised someone hasn't just taken that approach versus sort of like trying to stitch them together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that's not a problem we have to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about, you know, I think we can kind of wrap up the cloud foundry thing there because there really weren't, a bunch of, of uh, Cloud Foundry Kubernetes customers that spoke. So there weren't really like a whole bunch of use cases. It was just kind of, hey, architecturally, this is where we're going. So I think we can wrap up the Cloud Foundry Summit stuff. We got to dig into KubeCon because KubeCon obviously, um, you know, really continues to be a really big event. Um, you know, I think they said like 4,300 people in Europe, which 
Um, you know, people might say, well, Austin was like 4,500 and then this one was 4,300. Wait, it, you know, are things slowing down? No, the European shows are usually like half the size of, of their American counterparts. So, you know, the way to think about this is like, I think there was about 1,500 people in Berlin last year and there was 4,300 in Copenhagen this year. So, you know, it, it continues to sort of have that 3x growth uh, for KubeCon, at least for that region of the world. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the I do appreciate the overall sort of um, vibe or kind of message, if you will, from the conference from the CNCN and stuff is like, it's okay, it's okay to say, hey, Coop's not, per-. you know, a lot of times you get with, uh, with these type of conferences, it's rah, rah, rah about yep. whatever the technology, everything's, you know, the Lego movie song, everything is awesome is playing and everyone's just high fiving. Uh, we're here. To, hey, like, where can we make this better? What, what new tools? And I think what's what's really cool about the Kubernetes community as a whole is it's sort of built this model of, hey, the core thing is the core thing, but then everything else is an ecosystem, and no one goes, is that a is that a support is that a CNCF project or you know, you know, Heptio makes some tool to turn JSON into into YAML for manifest, and like no one says like, oh well, they you know, where is this going to live and like foundation stuff, they just use it. So I think that's that's something that's really cool. So you see a lot of stuff at. KubeCon of like new things uh, coming out that actually aren't part of Cube. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, ultimately, uh, Tim, so Tim Hawken, who's one of the original uh, creators of it from Google, you know, kind of put out some tweets this week that said, hey, look, um, you know, I, I know sometimes I come across as the bad guy because I say no to a lot of things. And he said, but that's that's part of trying to make this thing stay successful is we can't say yes to everything and make it a core part of, of Kubernetes. Sometimes we have to say no to things and then sometimes we have to, you know, think really hard about these, you know, more difficult things that might be coming up down the road. And so, um, you know, I, I think they've they've given the community enough places where they said, um, no, we're not going to do that. Um, you know, here's where you can extend it or here's where you can extend it um, or here's where you can layer something on top of it. But, you know, we, we have to have that 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 good balance. And I and I, and I think that that kind of comes across in the show. You're going to get uh, some criticisms and keynotes. You're going to get some rah-rah stuff. And, um, you know, and it felt like there was a lot of new people kind of coming into the community as well. So that was uh, nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you get, you get a mix of all views. There's, there's definitely a lot of just overall buzz and excitement sure. and it just, it just feels different right now. Cause there's a lot of, Hey, we're actually doing this with this thing versus like, right. oh, yeah, we have this cool cloud we set up or like super esoteric, uh, use cases and like research and development or something. Right, right, right. You know, there was a couple of things. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to see all the keynotes live. I was kind of following them on Twitter because I was traveling this week. And um, there were a couple of things I thought were sort of interesting as keynote statements. And, and they, they kind of tried to come across as if they were like brand new statements, but they feel like they, they were sort of recycled. So, um, you know, there was a there was a lot of talk about get ops, um, which was sort of the idea of like, write some code, push it to get, and then, you know, sort of That'll eventually get into your CI pipeline, and then your CI pipeline will, you know, deploy it to uh, to Kubernetes. And I kind of sat there and went, "Yeah, um, <laughs> people have been doing this for a long time. Like, what's <laughs> like, why did we need to create sort of a, a new name called GetOps?" But it, it feels like, you know, okay, uh, <laughs> something something didn't resonate with a certain group of people, and so now they've invented this sort of new name um, for basically write some code and push it. Yeah, yeah, and especially where it's like this is where we get into we hear sometimes people kind of throwing their hands up about Kubernetes and saying, "Oh, developers, why developers don't need to be building manifests and developers why are they building containers?" and like 
Actually, a, lo- a lot of them aren't. They're doing something like that. You know, number of you know, I can think like off the top of my head. I just think of KeyBank doing this, where it's like they're like their developers don't even know where they, they they hit commit in their IDE, which commits it to their repo, and then the build process. You know, the pipeline takes over, builds everything automatically, pushes it onto the platform, all that type of stuff. They do, you know, they don't even know about those pieces. So I feel like that's like you said, it's a pretty old uh, uh, kind of model for for code. Yeah, I, I mean, this is going to sound terrible. I, I kind of wonder if GitOps is the new PaaS. Um, like people don't want to say, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't want a platform as a service thing because there's, you know, certain negative connotations that go with, you know, PaaS. But like, I mean, if that's what you want, if you don't want your developers to change what they do, you just want them to write code. Like that's that's what platform as a service used to do. I mean, it still does that stuff. So, you know, I, I, what's old is new, and what's new is old, and, <laughs> and so forth. So, I thought that was sort of interesting. The other one I thought was was sort of interesting was um, you know Liz Rice, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago uh, from Aqua Security, kind of gave a talk, and and one of the things that that she mentioned was she was like, do not run your containers as root. Running them as root is bad. Um, again, like that's something we've talked about on this show, at least. And I know we've talked about it in the, in the open shift world for years now. Like, yeah, if you don't, if you don't need to run root, like don't run root. That's, that's a bad idea, period. Um, yeah. And it's just one of those, you know, it's that struggle we've had with security since computers are invented, right? Where it's like, well, what's the easiest way to get around it type of thing versus the, like what makes the most sense. Like I saw this today, you know, like for example, um, if you have all your security set appropriately, you can't use, and you're not running as root, you can't use privileged ports. So like you figure, quote, low port numbers. So if you're writing a container and you're like, oh, it exposes port 80, like, no, no, you don't need to do that because whatever external thing in the container will map the port wherever it needs to go. So it should be some high port number. Um, and then just like you look at, so like I, I happen to come across a demo example, which was like WordPress and you actually trace back. It's like the WordPress official Docker image and you see there was a, a, uh, issue open, which is like, Hey, this doesn't work with, you know, anything that has even Docker with the securities turned on, it doesn't allow this. And it wasn't like, Oh yeah, we should let you be able to change the port or, Oh, let's set it to a high port. It was, Oh, just set this flag, which says now nah, that's okay on the, on the container engine side. Yeah. Like, no, that's not the right answer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, eh. again, you know, I, I think, um, you know, part of the reason things like Docker got really, uh, you know, well adopted and so forth was there was a sort of ease of getting something started, right? Like, you know, pull it down from Docker Hub and, you know, Docker run and boom, something was, was up and running. And, um, you know, and, and then Liz pointed out like, hey, 86% or some really high percentage of, of images in Docker Hub, like don't have a user line in there. Like they all run from root. And, you know, again, there's there's just such a big gap between like hey what I'd like to do is a demonstration on my on my on my laptop and what you actually have to do in production so that you're not the next you know headline at the Wall Street Journal because oh whoops we forgot to uh you know turn off certain things and uh all of our stuff got stolen or something yeah. like that so anyways again you know <laughs> we we try not to harp on these things that we that we've talked about forever but it is sort of one of those like oh okay okay good glad, glad the rest of you are catching up to this thing that we've been talking about for a long time so um, there were some there were some good new announcements I saw. Obviously, we talked to Brandon Phillips uh, last week uh, or a couple of weeks ago about the operator framework that got announced. Uh, seems to get you know people were excited about that because it's gonna it's gonna help deploy applications more consistently, operate them more consistently. I thought that was uh, really good to see. You know, the community go okay, cool, let's do this, and, and then we've seen a bunch of examples of that start to start to pop out. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you know we don't have to go too too deep into it. If you really want to get more of the deep dive, definitely. If you haven't listened to that episode, uh, check it out. But yeah, I think there's a lot of interest both on the like end user side as well as the uh, software vendors that want to package their stuff up to run on Kube. Yep. 
Um, another thing I saw was the um, the there's a, like a serverless working group now within CNCF, which is good. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to slow down the proliferation of different types of serverless frameworks that are starting to pop out, which is fine and good and, you know, whatever you like to do. But but they did make another step in terms of their, uh, I think they call it like their events framework. So basically like a consistent way to, um, you know, if report events or or at least format events that, that different frameworks can then go, okay, I can have a, a listener or a bus that um, is looking for those kind of events. So again, you know, it's a small milestone. It's like a 0.1, but again, it's good to see that begin to go into place because that becomes the the eventual foundation for you know having some consistency of you know event based systems on different Kubernetes systems. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. This is the thing that where I think it's good that they're looking at these things before serverless is really blowing up versus you get the after the fact try to add a standard. I was thinking of the XKCD right. comic where it's like there's 12 competing standards, we need one, and it's like now there's 13 competing standards. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, the last thing I the last thing I noticed, and again, there was probably a hundred different things that got announced and put out there and so forth. Was um, Google came out with this thing called GVisor, which is sort of this hybrid between a container runtime and and sort of the isolation of a of a hypervisor. And um, it was interesting, you know, it came out, and I, I happened to be in in Las Vegas at another event. And I mean, the thing had been out for like four hours and somebody was like, so, you know, will you guys think you're going to adopt that? Is that what you're going to? And I'm like, you know, the stuff is still coming out so fast just because it, it comes out from somebody. You don't have to sort of make a binary like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll adopt doing this. Like, I, I think it's great that we're seeing a lot of new implementations and people trying to figure out more secure ways to deal with stuff. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's another sort of sort of secure runtime, different approach to doing containers slash hypervisor, you know, the blurring of that line of where your where your isolation point should be. Yeah, the, the best way I've seen it kind of explained because I was digging, I'm like, I kind of understand what this is doing. Uh, but, you know, when an app, when you talk to a kernel in an operating system making system calls, syscalls, uh, and things like we talked about in our security episodes, uh, SE Linux, AppArmor, SecComp, to like filter out those those calls, and that's how you can get more security in your containers. Uh, basically, GVisor is sort of acts as, as an intermediary. So your application makes system calls to GVisor, which only implements a subset of the full kernel system calls, which then you still even turn seccomp and everything on GVisor too. So it's like an extra layer of of protection. Yeah. Um, so you know, I want to see what the uh, you know kind of where that fits into the overall, and if it adds enough value for people that it makes sense to switch to. Right. Right. And you know, and the general rule of thumb with any of these things is like it's cool. You know, congratulations to the engineering team that, that got it out there. It was it was obviously a lot of work to to create these things, and and then the real trick becomes you know can you build a community around it like is there enough that you do that's unique and and different and valuable that it warrants a new community forming as opposed to saying like could could we affix things in kind of existing stuff um and so you know I, i always tell people like hey you know feel free to play around with it but you know give it six months nine months see if any community is forming around it and then you know maybe give it some of your attention yeah, this is the the cynic in me with stuff like this, and even like the kata containers and stuff like that. Is uh, we can't even get people to stop running containers without root. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Gonna be, you know, let's let's start there. Let's start with the easy stuff. It's like when you go into a large enterprise and like, oh, we have these intrusion protection systems and stuff. It's like, why don't you start with getting people not to write their passwords on Post-it notes? Right. Let's start right. there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, cool. Well, listen. Um, again. <clears throat> 
you know, tons of stuff comes out of KubeCon. Uh, you know, check out the CNCF link. I think, uh, you know, any day now, the videos from the different sessions should be up, and we'll go through some of those like we've done in the past. And um, But, uh, you know, I, I think in general, the the vibe was um, shows, you know, show continues to grow, community continues to grow. Um, you know, we're going to go through some, um, you know, some new stuff coming out that will maybe be more difficult to to implement than maybe we had before. But but again, they're solving more complex problems. And um, so, you know, again, I, I think people are, are going to be really positive coming out of this show. Let's uh, let's sort of wrap this up with uh, talking a little bit <clears throat> about Red Hat Summit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, you know, I think the big thing from a, from a Kubernetes perspective, we touched on it last week, um, kind of the, the merging together of the core OS technology and the OpenShift technology, and then, um, some stuff around operators and so forth. That's, you know, uh, if you want to dig into that, go listen to either the show we did two weeks ago with Brandon Phillips or the show we did with, with Joe Fernandes and, and Reza Shafa, Shafi. Um, a couple other things, what, what else sort of jumped out at you in terms of, uh, some of the, the Kubernetes slash, you know, ecosystem things. Um, the two I thought were kind of cool is, um, you know, Istio. So we've talked about Istio on this podcast before, you know, it says, um, you know, framework for building microservices, you know, with sidecars and type of stuff like that. So that way it happens in the platform versus, you know, your developers having to write it into their code, sort of like the Netflix, uh, type stuff. Uh, so that got announced as a developer preview for OpenShift. So, so people can start playing with that in their, you know, test environments and stuff to see how Istio is going to fit into their, their overall picture. Uh, that one I thought was interesting as well as uh, functions, right? So you know, we talk serverless. Is every, they have, uh, everyone wants to talk about that. So Apache OpenWhisk, which is I would say probably the most popular open source serverless uh, project. Um, IBM uses it as IBM BlueWhisk. Uh, Adobe does also. Uh, another of other companies. And it's been around for a couple of years, maybe two or three years. So it seems to be the most mature at this point. So we're also doing a developer preview of that on OpenShift. Yeah. You know, I think of those two things, the things that jump out at me, number one, um, I, I continue to be amazed at, at how how much interest there is around Istio, um, Istio and Envoy. And, and I say that in the context of like, um, you know, it took a long time for people to kind of grasp what the Netflix OSS kind of set of tools did, um, you know, and, and again, like they were kind of written specifically for certain Java things and you know the 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 pace at which people have, have been really interested in in this technology and uh, kind of having some some language independence of what they're doing and I mean Istio is still not even 1.0 and and you've got you know companies that are lining up to want to use it so that's that's very interesting the other piece that's interesting to me is um, you know these things sort of got layered on top of OpenShift uh, as as services right so the, so you know th- this is sort of the thing we've talked about a lot like they get layered on as services they don't sort of change the core part of, of Kubernetes. And I think from a stability perspective, it's a, it's a good thing, right? We're going to see the ability to add these things without sort of destabilizing the core of, of what the platform does. Yeah. I think, I think that's where you get to the, uh, sort of the perfect is the enemy of, of, of the good where, Hey, like maybe we should totally rewrite how networking works in Kubernetes to make, you know, this service mesh be like a core part of it. Um, I think probably would have been a mistake, you know, because it just you get this this crazy scope creep. Um, I think layering it in this way in a pluggable manner makes a ton of sense, uh, and then that way it also can function independently as other types of platforms integrate Istio as well. So that way, uh, you know, you can, your code can have that same sort of capabilities in other platforms running Istio that aren't Kubernetes. Say, yep, yep. Yeah, there was a bunch of other announcements. I, you know, we don't, 
you know, we've always tried to sort of find the right balance between talking about Red Hat stuff and, and non-Red Hat stuff. We'll, we'll put some things in the show notes for people um, who might want to look at, okay, some of the partnerships that got announced or, um, you know, the, the one other thing maybe we should mention is like um, the, the OpenShift.io, which is kind of the developer experience, um, kind of moved forward in terms of, uh, you know, availability and so forth and, and number of developers that have been adopting it. So that's something people may want to take a look at, especially as they're saying like, hey, what do I want my development experience to be as it integrates into the Kubernetes platform? And that's, uh, again, you know, we talked about it early on in, the, in this show. Um, you know, that, that's something that, you know, as you're looking at developer flexibility or you're looking at, um, you know, dealing with remote developers or whatever, um, you know, the, I, the, the OpenShift.io stuff uh, made, some, made some pretty good progress this, at this show. So definitely something to maybe go take a look at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I so that stuff came over to Red Hat via the uh, Code Envy acquisition, and I actually kind of stumbled across Code Envy a number of years ago when I first got a Chromebook, and I wanted to uh, like, well, I can't run an IDE, I don't want to use a text editor. Like, how do I how do I do coding on here? Uh, oh, this Code Envy thing, it's like a web based IDE, and then it built Docker containers, and so I was like, this is pretty cool. Right. So that's you know what became Eclipse Che. Um, so yeah, so it's. You know, that, that fully web-based one, it, it's worth checking out, uh, you know, kind of the announcements there and, and seeing what's available. I think it's – I was is surprisingly full-featured for a web-based IDE, so right. I was uh, impressed with that. Yep. Yep, and again, you know, it won't be for everybody. You know, some people are still going to want to use Eclipse, and others are going to want to use, uh, uh, you know, Microsoft's uh, Visual Studio code and, you know, whatever it is. But again, this – you know, we we always sort of come back to this idea of, you know, you, you advocate for – developer flexibility and then you you balance that with sort of platform consistency and, and stability and so forth and so um you know we th- that's kind of what we hear in the marketplace is is the ops team you know wants consistency they're being pushed to be you know highly available whereas the developer teams are trying to figure out how to go faster so um you know keep it keep it in the context of of sort of that uh, that trade-off and all so well listen man that was that was a lot of stuff uh sort of three weeks of back-to-back-to-back shows at announcements and, and obviously we didn't get to all of them but hopefully we gave folks some feel for kind of the trends that are happening in these communities i think you know the kubernetes stuff is is still really positive which is great um you know but uh it's it'll be nice to be out of trade show season because it makes your head spin a little bit yeah yeah it's uh You'll get a little bit of a breather usually here uh, in the middle of the summer and then the fall it picks back up again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, listen for that. Uh, you know, we're going to wrap it up, uh, folks, as always, thanks for listening. You know, if you get a chance, go out to iTunes, uh, you know, give us a rating. Um, it helps us kind of get the show more widely recognized and more people join the show. We get better questions and topics and so forth. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, we will talk to you next week. Bye.